merry meet. Tonight, thunder and lightning is cracking over my home. If Vincent Price and Peter Laurie were in the neighbourhood, we'd call this a Roger Coleman movie. So, the scene is set for some talk about witchcraft. Note I did not use some other word like wicker. I called it what it is, witchcraft. In this episode, I want to talk a little about Raymond Buckland, a virulent author who published some 100 books or so, drawing on his research and even on his Roma ancestry to advance the art, practice and literature in this field within the USA. Many American solitaries were born after reading a copy of Buckland's Big Blue. I wonder just how many copies of that were sold over the years. It must be one of Llewellyn's biggest sellers ever. I can almost guarantee if I walk into Half Price Books today, there would be at least two copies of it on the shelves. If there are two books you're sure of finding in Half Price Books, that would be the first, and the other would be The Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. So let's look at the channels, or lineage if you prefer, which witchcraft has moved on. Before we step into what has become a predominantly British sausage fest of elders, let me point out that it was a woman, Margaret Murray, who created the blueprint for contemporary Wicca and pagan beliefs. We can't go too far, of course, without mentioning Leyland's Aradia. There's not a lot to Aradia, except that it correctly names the god and goddess of Italian witchcraft as Diana and Lucifer, which Gardner would love directly from, rename Lucifer Herne, and then claim that it came down to him through England's last surviving coven. So back to Margaret Murray, who popularised words like coven and desbats. But her claims were considered too fabulous to convince the greater academic body, despite her work becoming the primary text which Wicca cults were built upon. Her critics said that there was no evidence of Wicca existing before the publication of Murray's books. However, I have to point out here that her bibliography, which includes some 28 academic level books of which the witch cult in Western Europe, a study in anthropology, was only one of them. Could such an expert researcher, renowned in the subject of anthropology, really be as wrong as some want to claim? This takes us back nicely to Raymond Buckland, who disliked the term Wicca. His off-the-record views on the matter, and stated at least one time in the media, was that he always advocated it should be called witchcraft and stated that when the craft was emerging in the USA, movies like Rosemary's Baby affected how people thought of these things. Wicca, he claimed, was a term adopted to appease the evangelical Christians. So Raymond Buckland, he makes a very nice connection to the re-emergence of witchcraft. He was a high priest in both the Gardnerian and CX Wicca traditions and had an interest in Scottish witchcraft and the non-dogmatic, non-structured freedoms that come with it. Despite his later rethinking of Gardnerian Wicca, Buckland claimed to be the first person in the United States to openly admit to being a practitioner of Wicca. And around 1964, he introduced to the USA the lineage of Gardnerian Wicca to the United States. 
Buckland had been initiated in Scotland by Gerald Gardner's then High Priestess, Monique Wilson, in 1963. In his later years, Buckland seemed to drift into the concept of solitary witchcraft, which he widely promoted. When questioned on the topic, he'd respond with, Who initiated the first witch? He also questioned the degree structure, which Gardner had lifted directly from the Freemasons. In the mid-1970s, Buckland formed his own Wiccan tradition, Sax Wicca, which he claimed was based upon symbolism taken from the Anglo-Saxon paganism. He published everything about the movement in The Tree, Complete Book of Saxon Witchcraft. He also began a correspondence course to teach people about Sax Wicca, which grew to having about a thousand members. When you listen to how Buckland describes this, he says clearly that he was trying to create something which had some historic past. Any thought of Saxon England comes across as a total invention. Remy Buckland had been a Gardnerian, but if you read between the lines of what he really thought about Gerald Gardner, he wasn't convinced by him. He gave Gardner his due, but questioned his motives and honesty. We know, of course, that a lot of what is attributed to Gardner is actually the work of Doreen Valiente. Valiente's own platonic relationship with Gardner might be best described as a roller coaster ride during a thunderstorm. I get that. My own problem with Gardner would be his general motives. He comes across as a bit of a control freak, with a penchant for taking off his clothes and initiating young women. However, his magic was generally white magic, like a politically corrected version of Leland's Aradia. On the other side, we have Alexander's, self-proclaimed King of the Witches. He seemed to borrow heavily from the Goetia and the Key of Solomon, and for a time followed the left-hand path. Interesting to note, that his coven initiated Stuart Farrar and Janet Owen, who would become better known as Janet Farrar. In the US, the next, in my opinion, elder of similar status would be Scott Cunningham, who, like Buckland, left a trove of researched writings behind him. I think what we can say is we have an incomplete story here. It's not all bad, though. You have to look at history and the persecution of mostly innocent people. The story of witchcraft is pretty much incomplete. Researchers have attempted to piece together the fragments and paste in what is lost of older beliefs. Sure, some of it is going to be complete invention. Some people find it hard to believe, for instance, that the witch's rune and the charge of the goddess which were incorporated into the early Gardnerian Book of Shadows, was actually the creative work of Doreen Valiente, but it was. Doreen herself stated that she found it annoying when others plagiarised her work and claimed it dated from ancient history. In places like Scotland, a lot of older Celtic pagan beliefs have survived in the remoter communities, and where tolerance was shown for spaywives and wise men, and wise women for instance. We know they survived, since for many Scots, knowledge was passed down within families and survived in local communities. Paganism and witchcraft may have receded into and survived in those communities, ready to emerge again. British history and the Reformation, surprisingly, 
may have had something to do with the survival of witchcraft and paganism. The Protestant church appears to have been a little more tolerant of older beliefs, but not by much, than what was being witnessed over in continental Europe. We just have to look at the witch trials of Würzburg, Germany, to see what a terrifying time it was to be accused of witchcraft. Those trials resulted in the deaths of around 900 people, many of them dying in custody. The witch trials took place during the ongoing religious Thirty Years War between the Protestants and the Catholics. Meanwhile, an estimated 2,500 Scots were executed as witches between the 16th and the 18th centuries. What we might be able to read into these high figures is that even although these people were completely innocent, it does suggest that if witchcraft was going to survive in the more remote areas, then Scotland was a place it might happen. But by how much and what survives? Consider that wise women and wise men who were accused of witchcraft invariably never considered themselves to be witches at all. One notable aspect from the witchcraft trials in Scotland was where villages would petition the court to prevent the wise woman or wise man from being prosecuted. Between the 16th and 18th century, an estimated 4,000 people were accused of witchcraft in Scotland, charged with violating the Witchcraft Act, which was passed in 1563 and repealed in 1736. Most of the individuals targeted were women. Two-thirds of those accused, that's around 2,500 people, were executed. Now that's five times the average European execution rate per capita. The widespread accusations and executions of witches and witchcraft was mostly due to the obsessions of one man, King James VI of Scotland. I think the bottom line is, people really should let go of some of their assumed dogma. There shouldn't be any part of modern witchcraft which is accepted without question as the complete and unquestionable truth or held in complete reverence do what feels comfortable to you. Then again, it's not one story, and never was. There are many paths of paganism, some grounded in unique localised folklore, some of them survived, as best our tribal memory can recollect them. For instance, if you want to do some cosplay and go put on a kilt, use a ski and do, as you're after me, or trace out a circle with a 200 sword, just like William Wallace's, that's fine. But the reality is, Pecty Witters didn't exist until quite recently when Raymond Buckland invented them. The people he calls Pecty Witter are Scottish hedge witches, people we call wise women, wise men, spaywives. It seems he took the hereditary practices of the hedge witches and spaywives and called them something else. 